We're off the Guarding Talk back on to when you are at FM. Greg Richard here, joined by Scott Sharp. Great to see you once again, Scott. Yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, summer stolen away from us, and now all of a sudden we're into autumn and it's hot and humid. So I thought I might talk today about some humidity problems in the garden. Right. Yeah, frangipani rust, uh, what to do with your sour soil, especially if you've got some grass that's in the shade. Sour soil? Yeah, look, you don't have to eat it, you don't have to taste it, but it's just an expression we use. Right, can you get sweet soil? Well, you can, and that's oh. what we're going to do, sweeten it up. And we've got full from Wingara, and he wants to know when butternut pumpkins are ripe to pick. Hello, Phil, you've got a crop of pumpkins out there, have you? Yeah, butternut pumpkins. So I turned out my compost bin um, last year, and then... There must have been some pun- butternut pumpkin seeds in the in the, the soil, and they've just taken over my garden. Yep, they I've will. Got, yeah, I've got heaps of them, but I just I just don't know when to pick them. How do you know when to pick them? Do you wait for your vine to die or what? Yeah, look, it's a little bit like the the watermelon as well, and, and people have probably got some watermelon that are uh, coming ripe as well now. It, it's one of those ones where you give it the the hit or you know the thump or the knock. It's probably better to do it sort of like almost with a closed hand, uh, yep. and then you'll hear a, a slight hollow sound to it rather than a really uh, you know thick dense sound. So you, you'll get a bit of a yep. ring coming back out of there, yep. and that's the same with with watermelons as well to find out when they're ripe. Yeah, because as I say, there's still green ones coming. Yep. But the other ones have turned brown, but comparing to what they you get in the supermarkets and the shops, fruit shops, um, yeah, and I'm getting to the stage that I noticed on the ends where the flower was, it's died off. Would that be about getting close to right? Yeah, I reckon it would be. So once you start to see that blossom end uh, sort of wither off, that is time for it to, uh, to pick it. Uh, of course, when it changes colour as well, you've already got that one yeah. under under control. Yeah. <laughs> so that's yep. that's the obvious one. Yep. But yeah, oh, get, yeah. go out there, and give it a, a bit of a slap, and uh, it's, it, just see if you get that that you know yeah. ringing sound back through it. Yeah. Family reckons I'm growing a jungle down there. <laughs> <laughs> but no, look, e- easy to grow. Uh, they're going to taste fantastic for you because they've yep. been out in the sun. They've been ripening away there for you. So, yep. uh, yeah, they'll, they'll be really beautiful. Caramelise them or, you know, look, I'm yep. no chef. What am I talking about? <laughs> yeah. Okay, then. Thanks, though. As I say, I just wasn't sure. Cause people have told me, just, and I've read in the book, just wait till your vine all dies, but I just wasn't real sure. Yeah, look, and, and that's probably not a bad rule of thumb, but you'll find out that it'll end up being about that. But uh, yeah. uh, look, if it's really wet in the ground as well, sometimes you don't want them sitting there, you know, yeah. and getting yeah. overripe. It's it's time to get them out yeah. and, uh, and yeah. give them some air. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Right, grand, grand, grand right out in the um, tomato trestles and all that. So they're everywhere. Yes, look, they will do that. Uh, over in Carrington, I know there's a famous one that grows on someone's garage. Uh, does really yeah. well up on the roof of the garage, and it must the tin must uh, heat up as well. So they're apparently they're yep. really tasty. And I had a friend next door who had a a pumpkin tree once, where he'd actually let it grow up and along this weird wire that he had. Uh, I think yeah. the pumpkin got a bit heavy in the end and it all collapsed. But it was a good idea at the time, <laughs> and that's how the good ideas have first come about. Just needed more support. Yeah, just a little right bit more. Okay, thanks for that. Good on you, Phil. Thank have you. A good day. Cheers. Bye. bye. We've got Steve now from Barnsley, and his garlic chives always seem to be going to seed. That doesn't sound too good. Uh, What's been happening, Steve? Mate, uh, I transformed it from the, or transplanted rather, from a veggie garden into a pot, more controllable. I don't have the veggie garden. Yep. And what it's doing is just, it just 
soon. I cut the stem, the flower stems yes. off, and it's cranky with me. <laughs> Don't, that doesn't sound too good. Now, look, tell me about the fertiliser you might be using with those chives. Um, that's the point. Yeah. So, what what you need to be doing if you don't want something to to go to seed, uh, you know, like garlic chives, coriander, that's always a, one that that heads off to seed as quickly as possible. Uh, you need to be giving them a high nitrogen fertilizer. You don't want any potassium in there that promotes uh, fruiting and flowering. Uh, so if you you know go down to your local garden centre, you'll you'll be able to find specific fertilizers for herbs, for instance. And I that can would... go straight to my pigeon cage and get some uh-huh. fertiliser. Yes, very good. And that should be high in nitrogen, depending on what the uh, the birdies are. Yeah, so that's perfect for them. Uh, avoid any other sort of all round fertiliser that might be promoting the the fruit. You know, the flowering of the plant. Yes. Uh, and look, and oh, I know you've no, got no potassium. Yes, no potassium. And look, I did mention coriander, and I'll just give a, a quick hint about that as well. Yes. Uh, I always say to people, go out and cut it, uh, even if you're not using it. The same with parsley too, uh, mm. because it keeps it nice and fresh and tasty for you, and it, it, it stops it going to seed. I know it's a little bit different with the garlic chives, but uh, you need a low potassium fertilizer, same with the coriander and the parsley. I, I like the the leaves... I cut them up small and on mashed potato and whatever. Oh, very nice. Bit of sour cream or? We're getting very, very, very foody here today, aren't we? I've already mentioned oh, caramelised yeah. pumpkin. Now we're talking about sour cream, um, <laughs> coriander. It's, uh, yeah, mouth is watering. Poor Greg, um, he's, he's drooling over there. <laughs> I also cut them up very small for... The birds, they oh. love them. Oh, yeah, okay, that's a good idea as well. Yeah, they would like that, wouldn't they? Yes. Okay, well, thank you very much for the call, Steve. Uh, good luck with it. Uh, just go use some of your uh, your pigeon scat and uh, see how it goes. Thanks, mate. Okay, good on you. Thank you. I don't feel about talking about pigeon scat after talking about food. Well, I know I was sort of mixing it up there and not in a nice way. <laughs> well, we've got Steve now from Blacksmiths, another Steve, and he's got a question about the frangipani. Hey, Steve, how can we help you? Uh, good day. I was wondering, um, when I turned the radio on about 20 minutes ago, you were talking or started talking about frangipani. Yes. I've often wondered, can I graft um, different coloured uh, frangipanis um, to, say, the normal frangipani with the white flower and the yellow centre and put, uh, say, reds and fruit salad and yellows and that, graft them to that? You know, that, that's an excellent question, and I think the, the short answer to that is going to be no. Uh, I've, look, I've just never seen it done before, uh, and I'm, I'm sure if it could be, someone would have had a crack at that one because that would make a magnificent plant. Uh, look, obviously, you can do roses and things. Uh, you know, there's, yeah. Yeah, they're quite easy to do. Never seen a frangipani done like that. Uh, I, I should imagine it would be very difficult for the graft to take. Uh, how would you support it? Uh, so, look, I, I would say no to that. However, if you did want to do something similar, you could just start a plant and you know grow two in close to each other and then allow them to entwine. Uh, and so you would then get reds and, and whites sort of going up. As the plant got older, it would appear that it's of the one tree. So, uh, But, yeah, look, unfortunately, uh, grafting, I've never seen it done with frangipanis. Um, someone would look for the, uh, the uh, I guess, the ep- economic value of doing that because I'm sure they'd sell a whole lot of them if they could. 
I just wondering because I thought the weight of the French penny uh, to the graph might be too too heavy. Yeah. But then again, if you use a, a smaller branch sort of thing and start it off, yeah. Um, I was just wondering if it would be strong enough at the graph when it gets bigger. You know what I mean? Yeah, look, I'd be very interested to hear if anyone's, uh, you know, actually been able to achieve that. But I, like I said, I and you've said as well, I think that the weight of the actual branches would just be that little bit too much. Right up. Okay. Okay. I'll, I'll try it one day when I get time. Yeah, but great question, Steve. And if anyone's had any success, love to hear from them. When would be the best time to try something like that? What part of the year? Well, look, I think you're probably getting a bit late now. If I was going to yeah. start doing, you know, that sort of uh, weird and wonderful experimentation, I'd be doing it in perhaps October uh, with a frangipani when you start to see that new growth coming on. Right, I'll try it then. Okay, good on you. No, thanks Cheers. for that. And have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. All right. And we're talking about parsley before, and Bill from Nelson Bay has got a question about parsley. Good afternoon, Bill. How can we help you? Yes, Scott, mate, I bought uh, a punnet of parsley and I transplanted it into a larger pot. Mm-hmm. Uh, about a week later, I had this thing that looked like creeping cancer coming off it. It was um, flowery and yellow and it crawled up the plant and it was crawling over the side of the pot and I thought I'd actually got into the bloody little house of horrors or something or other. Oh, so you think it had some sort of fungal disease in the original soil, do you? Yeah, well, it it, it was really, it took over the pot, it took over the plant. Yeah, okay. Well, mate, look, in, in cases like that, I, I usually recommend to discard and get rid of all the potty mix and start again. Uh, when, when you have got fungal diseases like that that sort of appear, you can treat with a fungicide like copper oxychloride, um, but if, you, if you've got edible plants, uh, you know, like parsley, I, I, I'm more inclined just to discard completely and, and start afresh. So get rid of all the potting mix and then try again? Yeah, I would definitely do that, yes. Oh, mate, that's a good one. Thanks, mate. Okay, good on you, Bill. Thank you. Cheers, mate. Bye. Jeez, we, we don't want that going sort of in, in, up into Bill's brain and eating no, it away or something like that because it, just because he's had some parsley, that wouldn't be a good thing. That's how a lot of movies start. I know. Just discard the parsley and the potting mix. <laughs> We've got Lorda now from Cessnock and she says her passion fruit leaves are being eaten. Good afternoon, Lorna. How can we help you? Yes. Um, yeah, I put in a couple of passion fruit vines, right, and um, something is eating the leaves. Yeah. Okay, so are they eating it from the outside or are you just getting holes starting on the inside? Yeah, holes from the inside. All right, okay. Now, you could you could even have snails in under there, uh, little baby snails. That's quite a, a common thing with passion fruit. Uh, I asked about the whether it was on the inside or outside because then if it was on the outside, you could have caterpillars sort of munching away or grasshoppers, which we haven't seen many of this year. It's been a grass, no. grasshopper no. for a year, which has been fantastic. Uh, so, look, I, I'd be inclined to, uh, you know, treat for, for snails. So put some baits, uh, snail bait down around the bottom. Uh, you can actually get sprays that work on snails. Uh, it's sort of a, an iron-based spray, and apparently the snail doesn't like that. Uh, so you can spray that. You might have to just be careful about spraying it on the leaves of the plant, though. Um, but that's certainly a deterrent for, for snails. And unfortunately, when you get those little baby ones, they're very difficult to find. They go to ground or, you know, go under the leaves in the middle of the day in the heat and then come out at night and chomp away. So uh, I'd, I'd have a good sort of ferret around in there and see what you can find. But uh, I'd be treating for snails in this case, Lorna. 
Well, I have spray. I went down to Bunnings and the lady down in the gardening section told me to spray it with perithium yes, spray. Yes, yep, yep, yep. And that's, that's yeah, a great idea. It's a nice... Nothing, nothing's happened. Yeah, it's and look, it's a, it's a nice safe spray to use. But again, if it was snails that you've got, uh, yeah. then that wouldn't necessarily have an effect on the, on the snail. Idea. Yeah, more, okay. they're, they're more for they're more for caterpillars. Uh, the pyrethrum, uh, pyrethrum. It's a, look, it's a, a great natural fertilizer, but it's pretty gentle. Like if it came up against a, a grasshopper, grasshopper is going to win hands down. Uh, it's not going to affect the snail, but it will do your caterpillars and other thrips and things. Uh, but yeah, look, there's just some things pyrethrum won't touch. Right, yeah, then okay, okay. okay. Snail baits down. Yeah, and have a have a squeeze, and you can get snail sprays. So uh, see if you can get that, and and just check the directions to make sure you can actually spray it on the leaves of the plant. Right out there. Okay. Okay. Thanks very much. Appreciate the call, Lorna. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. And we've got Rosemary from Corlette, and she's got a question about, or maybe some advice about frangipanis. Oh, good stuff, Rosemary. How can you help us? <laughs> Hello. Yes, we uh, there's a tree in our street which has got orange flowers, which is the main tree, and it's got um, little branches with red flowers. I wonder wonder if if someone's actually grafted that uh, or they've, you know, it's just naturally done that. That's a a very unusual thing. But uh, Les from Rutherford gave us a call earlier as well and said that he has grafted frangipanis and to do it in September. I reckon it's probably difficult, though, when there's, like, commercially it would be very difficult to do it because they're very slow growing and uh, so it wouldn't be the... The money in it for plant growers, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I guess there's no reason why it can't be done. But uh, as we said, supporting the graph will be very difficult as well. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, well that... I thought I'd share that with you. Yeah, but that's that's great. Thank you very much for that, Rosemary. Appreciate it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Bye. And it is a fantastic place to grow for Angie's. Nice and uh, sandy up there. They'd they'd love it up there. All oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Love that that well drained sort of conditions here. Yeah. The frangipani capital of. Well, New South Wales at least. <laughs> Speaking of frangipanis, we've got Anne from Cahiba and she wants advice about watering a potted frangipani. Good afternoon, Anne. How can we help you? Uh, Scott, about 12 months ago, I struck a frangipani in a 50 centimetre by 50 centimetre square pot. Um, it was a little bit slow to take off, but it's doing really well now. Um, it gets full sun, but it doesn't get any rain. So I know they're tough and they're tropical, so I'm wondering, do I how much water do they need in a pot, particularly as within the last week or two, some of the mature leaves have been yellowing and falling off, and I thought that was actually a bit early. Yeah, that that is a bit early. However, it could be frangipani rust that's that's creating that problem, and we'll talk about that in just a second. Uh, but as far as watering your frangipani, have you got a, a saucer under there, or uh, is it just no. free draining? No, it's just free draining. Yeah, so it's look, quite a big pot. It's as I said, it's fifty centimeters high by fifty wide by fifty deep. Yeah, okay. So, look, that's a great size for it. Uh, as far as the watering goes, I would just water it, you know, fairly normally once, you know, every three to four days. Uh, because, yep. And the danger with the frangipani in a pot is if you did have a saucer under there, it could start to soak it up and it would just rot away right. uh, from yep. the inside. But if you've got good drainage in that nice potty mix, the holes are working for you, uh, then I, I would just water as normal with that one. Okay, so it doesn't need a particular amount. Uh, uh, it doesn't need a lot because it's 
tropical and it's in a pot and drying out. Yeah, that, that, that's for, every yeah, every three to four days. I wouldn't let it you know go for two weeks or anything like that. It might survive, no, but it no. wouldn't be very happy. Uh, now, no. as to the yellowing leaves, uh, now there's French penny rust around at the moment. It's very humid. Okay. Uh, always seems to come in really badly uh, in March here in Newcastle as the humidity kicks in. Uh, look, there's nothing registered for it specifically to, to get rid of it, uh, but you'll find it's like a yellow pustule almost that just starts to take over the bottom of the leaves and then the leaves start to wither up uh, and yellow off. So it could be the onset with yours. Now, you can use a copper spray on that. Uh, so you just mix up the copper spray and spray all over the plant in underneath the leaves. I'm not saying it's going to, you know, keep it, uh, you know, cure it completely, but it might slow things down and keep it under control. Uh, for people with larger frangipanis, always important to try and rake up uh, any old leaves that have fallen onto the ground and keep that nice and clear and also drench the soil with a copper spray as well. Uh, so I'd give that a try, Anne. Just have a look under okay. those leaves. See if you've got those little yellow, uh, almost like furry pustules under there is the best way to describe them. Yep. Oh, no, yep. I'm sort of getting a bit icky, but that, that's the best way to talk about them. <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, they, they do take over, so a copper spray will at least slow it down okay. for you. Thank you. I just thought that maybe it was getting, it was drying out a bit too much. Yeah, and look, that it could just be a little bit of both. Uh, mm. And look, if a plant is drying out, it's going to be stressed. It's going to be more susceptible to having uh, insect and fungal incursions. So uh, yeah, just make sure it's being well watered. Uh, also. Uh, fertilizer as well. Fertilizing your frangipani in a pot is probably something you need to do regularly. Uh, you know, as we come into September, all the way through until May, uh, you can give it a break then. But uh, yeah, def- definitely fertilize and use something with potassium in there so that you get some flowering out of it. Excellent, excellent. Thank you, Scott. Okay, That's terrific. Appreciate okay. the call. Have Thank a good you. Day. You too. Bye. We've got Rowena now from at Chittaway Bay, and she's got a question about camellias. Good afternoon, Rowena. How can we help you? Um, yeah, good afternoon. About 18 months ago, we planted a row of advanced camellias to form a fence. Yes. And suddenly, we've had three of them together die. Um, I'm wondering whether we had the fences and things sprayed for um, spider mites and things. Could that have killed killed three of them if it came in close contact or, or what would you think well, what advice yeah spider mite would certainly make them a little bit unhappy as to killing them off like that would you just say they the leaves just dropped and they sort of became just bare sticks is that the yep, best yep yeah. yep just turned, the, the leaves just turned orange brown yeah. they went dull and, and, and just three of them have died so and, i mean the same garden preparation the whole way along where we've put them in yeah, so look, camellias can get a, a fungal canker as well. So that might be worth uh, treating for that. Uh, as for the ones that are already dead and, and sort of sticky, uh, have you tried to you know start at the outside and prune down to see if there's no, still some green? <laughs> Gone now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so probably best to, to pull those out, start again. Yes, uh, yes. But in saying that, you just don't want to put the, you know, a plant into the same spot. Uh, so yes. I, I would go and grab a systemic fungicide from your local garden centre, okay. uh, explain what's going on. You can spray yes. those plants. You can also 
Uh, generally, you know, depending on the fungicide you get, uh, you can water it into the soil as well and it will be absorbed up. And I would actually water it into the holes where those existing, you know, those dead plants are, pull them out and uh, water the soil there just to try and kill off any fungal disease that might be in there waiting to, to lurk around okay. and come back when you put the new ones yep. in. Yep, okay, that's good. Have I got time for another quick question? Absolutely, you can question us away. <laughs> what do I do with my onion weed? I'm patiently steaming it at the moment and it all flops and goes dead, but obviously within day or three, the new bulbs are sending up new shoots. Yeah, look, onion weed, one of those uh, you know plants you just have to, well, weeds you have to be incredibly persistent with. Uh, don't dig it up. You never dig it up because that just sort of spreads the yeah spreads the little bulblets around even yep, more. Yep, uh, yep. The best thing to do, I suggest, is put on a rubber glove, then put a cotton glove over that. Uh, dip your hands into the into the poison, into the zero or Roundup, whatever you're using, yep. and then just yep. wipe it up the leaf. Mm. Uh, that seems to be the only way. If you've got a, a, a sort of a clear area where it's in a garden bed, you can spray carefully. Uh, yes. But yes, it's uh, something you just are, have to be very persistent with. Mm, these are amongst our gardenias and camellias. <laughs> yeah, so look, it's it's not impossible. So Poison on them. It's it's not impossible to do that. You can make a little sort of funnel or collar for the end of the sprayer, and yep. have it down close to the ground so that nothing else is spraying around. Obviously, you do it, uh, you know, when there's no breeze around it, you know, at dusk or at dawn. Uh, yep. But if you make a little like a little uh, plastic sort of collar up, uh, you know, like you see around a dog to stop it from scratching, I guess that's yep. that's what I'm yep. thinking about. Yep. That that would stop the, the spray heading around. Mm. I also was sent an article last week. About the the white cockatoo, right? Yeah. And just how amazing the white cockatoo is at uh, pulling up onion weed and eating it. So if you've got a, flo- <laughs> a flock of cockies in the area, don't go yeah. chasing them away. Um, no, we don't. But I, don't, I haven't introduced them. <laughs> I don't know how to introduce them to my, <laughs> my onion weed. Yeah, um, and the trouble is they they do do a lot of other damage as well. But apparently I'll, I'll they dig up the rest of your front yard. Yeah, they do love onion weed, uh, and they can really pull it out and, and do a, a great job on it. Uh, this article had actually calculated how many onion weed plants a flock of 60 cockies oh, uh, could uh, could pull yeah. out, and it was quite quite amazing. Uh, I mean, I certainly cut mine back a lot, mm-hmm. and it's amazing when you're steaming them, the smell of um, caramelised onion Yes, <laughs> when you get down that far, but it's just so painstakingly slow, and as I say, you, you you know, don't do, do anything in the garden for a week and, and they're all up and sprouting again. So it's sort of a morning episode of going up and down and setting off a steamer and yes, trying yeah. to get the roots. Yeah, so look, yeah, unfortunately, persistence, you're doing the right thing. Uh, mm. don't, don't give up. <laughs> okay. Okay. Okay, thank you for your advice. Thanks, Rowena. Cheers. Okay, thanks. Bye-bye. This article that I read also, I learned something else about the cocky. What else? Left-handed. They're pretty much all left, or not left-handed, but, you know, like left-clawed. Left-clawed, That's really? why they have that funny walk about them. And they, when they dig up the onion weed, they only use their left right. claw, yes. That's very interesting. It is very interesting. There's all sorts of weird and wonderful animal facts out there. We should have just an animal facts show. Yeah, to do with the garden. We'll, yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll, tie, garden, we'll tie yeah. it in. Yeah, we'll work that one and out. And also throw in cooking tips as well, yeah. apparently. <laughs> Time for a couple more callers. And we've got Helen from Fletcher. And she's got a question about passion fruit. Hey, Helen, how can we help you? Oh, yes, Scott. Um, it's my neighbour's passion fruit, and it's coming over like a weed, like a vine, over the fence. They're beautiful little flowers, and bees have been there, you know, working away. 
but no fruit. And why is that? Uh, so is the is the plant in the uh, shade of the sun? Would you say? Well, it's in the sun. It's totally in the sun, and it looks very healthy. And they get beautiful flowers, lovely, delicate flowers. And the bees are there pollinating, mm-hmm. doing their bit. But I've been, you know, been at the place over a year, and but no fruit. And, and, and I thought, yeah, I thought weird. Yeah, that is a bit weird. And is the uh, are the flowers dropping off? Would you say? Um. Yeah. Now, what happens to them? Yeah, they do just drop off. They don't go into anything. So whether it's just not a grafted one. Oh, look, that, that's not necessarily the case. It, it could be that, uh, you know, they, the, the neighbour could be, uh, you know, feeding it too much nitrogen, so there's not enough to support the flower uh, there. So, you know, passion fruit love lots of potassium. Uh, potassium washes through the soil very quickly, so it needs to be constantly fed with it. And, that, and that's right. in a way that the plant's way of coping. If it, if it can't sustain the fruit and the flowers, it'll just drop them off like that. So it could be that it just needs some different fertiliser to try and boost up that potassium oh, okay. in the soil and uh, oh. keep, keep the uh, flowers on there. Look, that, that said, uh, what are we now, 1st of March already? It is the 1st of March. 1st of March. We're probably getting a little bit late because we often get calls, uh, you know, as we go into May, June, people saying, oh, you know, I've got fruit on the passion fruit now, but it's not ripening. So, you know, if, if, yeah. if you haven't got set fruit by now that's ripening, it's, you know, it's starting to get a little bit late regardless. Um, so it might be, uh, you know, worth even picking that off. But I, I think for your neighbour, they probably need to uh, start some different fertilising okay. to try and boost that uh, potassium in the soil. Okay, all right. No, I just thought it was lovely flowers and the bees are there and they're doing their bit, but there's just no fruit. I thought, well, what, this is weird. Well, at least the bees, are, the bees are benefiting from it. They're getting the pollen <laughs> yeah, back to exactly. the yeah, back to the hive and all that sort of stuff. So uh, we won't complain about that part of it. No, all right. Okay, thanks, Scott. Okay, thanks no for the worries. call, Helen. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. We've got Brian now from Swansea, and he's got some advice about rust on frangipanis. Afternoon, Brian. How can you help us? Hello, Scott. Um, look, I, I came across something a while back. I've got roses and a frangipani at the front of my place, and it, it gets really humid. And uh, I've had trouble with with um, the black spot and the mm-hmm. leaves yellowing and rust and everything. And look, what what I've done, and I've had no trouble on on any of them since, is I spray them with um, potassium bicarbonate, and then I spray them with sea salt. So. Potassium bicarbonate and the sea salt apparently raise the pH on the leaves. Ah, yes, yes, of course. Yeah, that's a, that's a great idea. Uh, and look, and, and almost feeding it as well with the sea salt. Um, yeah, look, that, that's a fantastic idea there, Brian. Um, and you're exactly right. It is, is raising the pH, so the, the fungal disease is less likely to, to sit there and take hold. Uh, what, um, what mixture rates are you using on that, mate? So with the, the potassium bicarbonate, two teaspoons a litre. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got a five liter. I mean, a, a five hundred mil spray bottle. I just put one, one teaspoon. I, I just, uh, I started with a potassium bicarb because I, I think it's a food grade one, and so I use it on on my plants, the, the veggies I grow as well. But I, no trouble with the frangipani or the roses since I've been using it. Oh, great. Okay, so look, that's potassium bicarbonate, uh, two teaspoons per liter. Thank you very much for that, Brian. That is a, a great. Uh, a solution to a, a problem that's uh, you know really difficult for frangipanis and as you know with roses as well. So that's a, that's a, some great advice. Thank you for that. Yeah, no, you're welcome, Scott. Glad to help. Okay, good on you. Thanks for the call.
Thanks, mate. Bye. Thanks, bye. All right, I've got time for one more call, and it's Paul from Macquarie Hills. And he's got well, something wrong with his passion fruit as passion, well. Oh, they're, they're, they're starting to run hot, the old passion fruit problems. Paul, how can we help you? Oh, well, oh. we can't help Paul. Paul's gone, obviously. <laughs> the disease has gotten him as well. <laughs> Who knows? Well, Scott Sharp, we're almost out of time for another week, but... You did mention humidity at the top of the hour. Yes, yeah, very humid at the moment. And I was just going to talk about, and we've had so much rain as well, heaps and heaps of rain, so everything's really soggy underfoot. Uh, I reckon one of the best things you could go out at the moment and buy was a, a bag of garden lime or dolomite lime yep. and uh, go spread that around uh, under, you know, on the lawn around any trees it'll actually sweeten the soil up right yes that, that's that's the term that's where we get the term from putting lime on there will sweeten the soil up to unsour it it will unsour it because it can get you know mushy and wet at the moment and uh, not very pleasant so yeah bag of garden lime uh, best value uh, cure-all for the garden at the moment all right scotch up we're out of time we'll catch you again next saturday no next monday <laughs> next monday we'll see you then got the weekend on the mind thanks for listening to this podcast from 2nurfm at the university of newcastle topics range from gardening to health well-being pet care finance business and travel you'll find them all at 2nurfm.com <laughs>